So we have been scouring the web for weeks looking for the absolute best Felicity fan fiction for our futures episode. But I heard that you discovered something kind of shocking. I did. I did. I I actually stumbled upon some fanfic written by Justin Bieber about Felicity. It's kind of a, I think it's called a flashfic. It's very short. I just want to share it with you real quick. Bieber wrote, Felicity Merriman was a great girl. I'm sure if she was alive today, she'd be a believer. I I don't doubt that for a second. I actually think that's true. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to American Girls, the podcast where we're reliving American Girls book by book. Uh, I'm Mary. I'm Allison. And, you know, we're done with Felicity's series, but definitely not done with Felicity. And if you're not familiar with the fanfic we just opened with, it is a playfully intended reference to the time Justin Bieber took himself to the Anne Frank house and wrote in the guest book, Anne Frank was a great girl. I'm sure if she was alive today, she'd be a believer. And I think that's true. We can't say that he's wrong. No. But I don't know that that was the right thing to do. I think if we've learned anything from Felicity and her stories, this country is not as genteel as anyone would like to believe. That is certainly true. And I also want to say that he kind of said that in a moment when pop culture was sort of disrespecting the Anne Frank house, because I'm also remembering now in this moment that The Fall in Our Stars, the film and the book, both feature a scene in which two teens make out in the Anne Frank house, which also feels weird. But, you know, I guess it's just the times question mark. I'm not sure why both of those things happened within a very short distance time of one another, but that is the case. You took me to that film having read the book and you absolutely sideswiped me into believing that it was a rom-com of (laughs) joyful tenor. And you said, oh, and I'll get you a McFlurry after. (laughs) You didn't tell me how it would be. Okay. Let me just dial this back for a second. Did I stumble upon that book? Yes. Did it really move me even as I believed it was very exploitive? Yes. When the movie came out, I knew I couldn't go by myself. Obviously, I need you to come with me. Who is going to voluntarily go to a film in which you say, hey, look, um, will you come to a movie in which one teenager dies from cancer and the other one is basically not doing well and it's a very sad film? You probably would have said no, maybe. So, I mean, I bought, we bought candy at Five Below. We were ready to go with this movie. Lights are going down. You did say to me, wait a second, does somebody get sick in this movie? Because you heard someone else in the theater <laughs> reference it and I, I didn't answer you. And I do feel bad about that. <laughs> we both wept. And we didn't touch our candy, which is the true sign of like being traumatized at a film for me, at least. I won't speak for you, but, and I did buy you a McFlurry, so I feel like we are square on some level. So without Felicity Merriman, we probably wouldn't have that film as it was Mm -hmm. because the Felicity movie launched Shailene Woodley, who is the star of that film. Wow. I mean, I can't even speak about her. She, Her trajectory as an actress is stunning to me. But you know what? We had to know that she was set for greatness when she really starts with Felicity. It's like when you have such a rich text to begin your career with and such strong character work, obviously it's, it's setting you up to do some higher level character work, which she's gone on to do um, in The Fault in Our Stars, Allegiant. Big Little Lies. Big Little Lies. I won't talk about Allegiant because it genuinely made me insane and I threw the book across the room when I finished the third book. So we've seen the film 
And we'll be covering that on our next episode. And just suffice it to say, it's a ride. And while we're talking about films of our youth, very mm. important news about Hulu this week. Probably all over your socials, probably something everyone in your world is talking about. It should be the front page of the New York Times or a superior paper that covers the news more rigorously. Thank you. What is it, Mary? <sighs> I'm just so thrilled to be able to say this. The Olsen Twins canon is now streaming on Hulu. Important. I mean, some might say life-changing. I don't know what they teach in school anymore, but it should be screening some of these films because I learned a lot watching them. First of all, the phrase, I'll solve any crime by dinner time" was life-changing for me. Not a joke. It was something we co-opted when we were being nosy about other people's lives and pretending to investigate. Uh Uh-huh. And we still use it. And you know what? I don't apologize. They made us feel like, one, you could be a person of small stature, wear a trench coat like a 40s film detective, and say things like, I'll solve any crime by dinner time, and not only be socially accepted, but be celebrated. Now, has that played out for us in our lives? Question mark. But... They're heroes. You know, and I think as with this podcast, it does indeed take two. That's so true. I love that movie. Honestly, I love that movie. And the aesthetic of, I think it's Mary-Kate who plays the twin who's like playing stickball and she has a backwards baseball cap and jeans and she's like a serious tomboy. I remember watching that and identifying that with that so hard. I would not begin to fathom which is playing which character in any one of the I can't. And I know they're fraternal twins. I cannot tell them apart. I mean, I can now as adults, but in those movies, no way. And even like Holiday in the Sun when they're older, it's like, I have no idea which one of you is which. No clue. I'm looking at all of the covers of the films and I have absolutely no concept. I do think they were always ordered with Mary-Kate first and Ashley second, left to right. And I remember when New York Undercover or whatever that movie was, their last one, when that was coming out and they did all these interviews and they were like, well, obviously Ashley loves to act more and she's a better (laughs) actress. And I was like, I guess, I don't know. You know, obviously, obviously, I guess. I mean, Holiday in the Sun, Passport to Paris, Billboard Dad. It all started with grandma's house. I mean, as many things do. As many things do. It's really weird because I, this is going to get me some trouble in my household because my partner loves Full House on a very deep level, which I totally respect. I always found that show to be super cheesy and I couldn't super get into it, even though I did watch it as part of TGIF. I will watch any of their movies and I find it 10 times more enjoyable than Full House, which is I know where they got their start. Well, we get to appreciate both of them as opposed to a contrivance with one. I think that's it. I think that's it. That could be it. I do have to drop sort of a bombshell on you. Uh Uh-oh. So I was book shopping today and a book that we have both referenced that we confused with American Girl appeared on the bookshelf. Do you want to take a guess as to what it was? Um, Is it an Anne Rinaldi book? It is absolutely an Anne Rinaldi book, and I promise we did not set this up. I found for a dollar, Time Enough for Drums, signed by yours truly, Anne Rinaldi. What? Dollar. Oh my God. I'm very excited to reread because it's been a long time. Wait, which one is this? Again, I don't remember the plots of any of these books. I know I remember loving Anne Rinaldi's books. The one I remember most clearly is A Break with Charity, which is about the Salem Witch Trials. Oh, right. Yep. But the back of this book tells me, Jem could never love a Tory exclamation point. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm guessing that she can. I mean, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but... 
I think she finds a way. I think she will. <laughs> Based on the cover, I, I am guessing that their love will find a way. Now, all of this is to say that we've been very busy reading Felicity, if not Felicity Cannon. That's right. And now we're turning our attention in the past week. We have turned our attention to reading Felicity fan fiction. And we also took a stab at writing our own. So that's what we want to get into. This episode is brought to you by Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to advertisers for native podcast sponsorships. What does that actually mean? Well, for our purposes, it means that we don't have to run ads on our show for products and services we don't believe in. We take this community really seriously, so we've in an ongoing way been trying to match with products that actually meet our mission and our values and are things that we're proud to support. So Podcorn has been a really wonderful service where we've been able to log on to their site and find a bunch of advertisers who want to work with us that we're excited to work with as well. If you're creator and you're looking for brands that you might want to work with, Podcorn is a great option. They have a marketplace mission to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and control. And you never give up exclusive rights to your podcast. Click the link in our show notes to learn how to sign up and to learn more about Podcorn. That's right. So just head over to podcorn.com and get started today. Today. Now, Allison, have you read any fan fiction before this week of like an in depth exploration of Felicity fanfic? This was my first time seriously looking at fan fiction websites or reading fan fiction of any kind. Okay, so I have read fan fiction before, um, and I've kind of always been fascinated by the genre because I like that it's somewhat experimental. It's kind of the ultimate way for a fan to appreciate and kind of immerse themselves into a book or a movie or or even music that they really love. And I remember reading the YA novels of Rainbow Rowell, who wrote Eleanor and Park, which I love. It's a great book if you are a music listener. Fangirl, Landline, and Carry On. Now, Fangirl is about a girl who writes fan fiction about a series that you can kind of imagine is Harry Potter-ish. Um, so after I read that book, I started reading some fan fiction just to see what it was like. And that got me into Harry Potter fan fiction, which I know that you read the books a little bit later, almost more recently, you might say. But so you might want to dip into this and check cool. it out. But it's really cool because if you read a book and you hate a plot line, fan fiction gives you a space to end the book the way you think it should have ended. And what I really like about it is that in Harry Potter fanfic in particular, but in a lot of other areas... If you have a book that you really love, and let's say that you're a queer person and there's no queer characters in the book, you can reimagine the book to make some of the characters queer and to imagine, say, like queer relationships. So that happens a lot in Harry Potter fan fiction. And I'm actually very here for that because I know this might be kind of controversial, but I actually, when J.K. Rowling went on her book tour for the last book and was kind of at, um, I think she was at Carnegie Hall or somewhere doing a reading, and she just casually dropped that Dumbledore was, of course, gay. Uh, maybe even after the fact, after the book came out. But I don't really appreciate retroactive queering of characters that are not explicit in the books because I really think representation matters. And I think she could have just made Dumbledore gay and not made a huge deal out of it, but kind of made it very clear that he was not straight or just provided some characterization of anyone in the books that was any place on the spectrum but straight. Um, and she didn't do that. And now, of course, Twitter is freaking out about the ways that she keeps coming out and revising her own canon. So she's kind of like writing her own fanfic of Harry Potter. It's kind of weird. But yeah, so that's kind of how I came to it. And that, that's why I think it's very interesting. 
I mean, for me, it was an opportunity to see how people have responded to this world in ways that don't involve the material culture. Yes. You know, so we've we've seen a lot of responses that people have or, or ways that they continue to engage, particularly because American Girl is so rich. There's dolls, there's stages, there's activities, and a lot of it is tactile. This gives people another avenue, if you will, to explore this. And you and I talked last time that we were kind of just getting excited for Felicity's story. We know that fighting is coming to Williamsburg, and we saw that a lot of people absolutely picked up on that thread as well once we started to look into it. Also, a lot of people picked up on Felicity and Ben, kind of the foreshadowing that they would have a relationship when it was age-appropriate. I'm going to say something heretical. I don't think they need to be together, and I don't think that they're in love based on these books. Wow. I think that you could read these books and say Ben's in love with Felicity, but I see no sign that Felicity's in love with Ben. No, and we came across a term pretty early on when we were on fanfiction.net, which is Benicity, and that is their celebrity couple name of Ben and Felicity. And so many of the stories are focused on that. And I feel like that is maybe blinding us to not just their age difference, but the precise nature of their ages, which is roughly 9 and 15 or 10 and 16. Right. And what's interesting is that in some of the fanfic I read, people who really want them to be together um, are kind of playing games with their age difference. So Mm -hmm. it's six years in the books, 10 and 16. But in some of the fanfic I read, it was like Felicity was 16 and Ben is 19. And he's about to leave his indenture and go fight um, for the Patriot cause or things like that. So I think when people really want it to happen, one of the things they even rewrite is the age difference, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. And a lot of people, I think, just want to get to the part of the story where Ben is fighting or Ben has just come back from the war, Mm -hmm. which I get because it's going to be hard to fill three or four years with kind of more of the same. Right. I mean, there are things I wish I saw in the fanfic. Like, for example, I keep waiting for someone to restore Nan to a position of prominence. Ooh, yeah. That hasn't happened. Now, Admittedly, in the one that I wrote, I also didn't do that for Nan. But the great thing about fan fiction is that there's no kind of hard publication date. You can always go back and revise. You can write a new story. You know, so that's a path that's still open to me. Nan isn't prominent, but as ever, Penny always is. One story that we came across was A Penny for Your Thoughts. Mm -hmm. And in that story, Ben and Felicity are married. They have a child working in the store, not an indenture, noticeably, just there and in that story their child is named penny and ben is sort of explaining that he's going to give her the backstory of why she's named that way hold on a second let me stop you right there i haven't read this one felicity and ben name their daughter after a horse yeah and so that's presented as sort of a loving introduction to penny learning all about her mother and when she liberated penny the first nope I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just going to come out and say this. That is not okay. So I I like the idea of having a setup where these stories come out of Ben and or Felicity explaining their origin story, but naming your child after your horse. Ladies, check in with us if you were a horse girl. I don't think that goes on. I mean, I would be fascinated to know if that goes on. Now, look, we've taken a lot of heat as admittedly not horse people. You know, 
horse girls, women out there have contacted us about some of our, you know, missteps in speaking about horses, horse culture. We own that. We're sorry. You know, we're trying. But I mean, did we get this wrong too? Are there people out there who are named after horses? The Kentucky Derby was just yesterday and very controversially a horse called Country House One. Is there a world in which you would name a child Country House Horrocks? No. Me? No. Okay. But with Felicity, you don't know. She's a wild card. She's truly a wild card. I mean, she could name her kid Jiggy Knight. There could be a kid named Penny. There could be a kid named Noah's Ark. Like, I really don't know anymore (laughs) with her. It's really all up in the air for me. Wow. Now, what do you think is the most most imaginative fan fiction that you came across? Because I know what it was for me. I read one that I still am unpacking in my head because I don't understand what's happening. So something that happens in fanfic is that people will combine different series. So like having, I don't want to make a superhero reference because I still don't understand that world. And like, I'm sorry, I apologize. I just, I haven't had the time to get into it. I'm sorry. So like, but say for example, I was writing something about a TV show and I had the cast of Friends showing up at the cast of Dairy Girls or something, and, you know, have them having some kind of hijinks together. There was one I read where, like, Spider-Man showed up in Felicity's world. Wow. And Felicity worked at a Dollar Tree, and there's a lot happening that I don't understand, and I don't really want to say anything more than that, but it's, it's stayed with me. It's boggled my mind. I've read it three times now, and I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I can't make heads or tails of it. So I don't want to trump yours, but I did find a fan fiction that imagines that Felicity interacts with characters from Men in Black 2. Uh-huh. Sure. And so Agents J and K are doing a visit. And one of the things I love is classic Nan. This is one of her lines in the story. Lizzie, tis most improper for gentlewomen to handle guns. You know, it's like, that's the issue. No, they're, you know, they're in the parlor. There are people coming from a different timeline. It's fascinating. I just love that there's such a consistency with the character of Nan, where it's like, we cannot imagine her as anything more interesting than this. She's like an 82-year-old in the body of a seven-year-old or however old she is. And what's maybe fascinating about this person's choice, and again, I don't know them. I don't know when this was released, but maybe they were trying to just use Felicity to kind of boost the career of Will Smith a little bit because, you know, the past couple of years have been a tough turn, you know, and I, I am worried about the Aladdin film. And, you know, so maybe just anticipating that they're trying to kind of boost him up a little bit. I think that's been Valerie Tripp's agenda all along because buckle up, I looked and I did extensive research as to the etymology of the word jiggy. It rose to prominence in the early 1990s and also had a moment in the late 20s and 1930s. It basically did not exist in the 18th century. It's not flattering. So I will give you a more precise definition. I looked at an engram. I looked to see usage over time. So first of all, it's a pretty... I was trying to see if there was any way to have it be different. It's a pretty disparaging adjective. So it comes from jig with the addition of the gy. That doesn't come about really until the 1930s. But what it means is to be uninhibited, especially in a sexual manner, or to be trembling or nervous, especially from the result of a drug withdrawal. So this is very shady. Wow. Wow. Do you think Valerie Tripp knew that when she named him? 
I don't know where it came from. So we'll have to listen to a little bit of my fan fiction to get there because that was actually the inspiration for me was I wanted to better understand where that nickname would have come from because I thought maybe it had this special meaning, but it doesn't seem to have really existed in his century. So he was a trendsetter is what I'm saying. And speaking of, like, I guess Valerie Tripp was because the last book came out in 92. Will Smith's Getting yeah. Jiggy With It doesn't come out until 1997. So, I mean, it sort of feels like Will Smith maybe was aware of this. Is Getting Jiggy With It fan fiction? Wow. I mean, I kind of think it it is because what else, what other logical explanation could there be for that song? Which I should I mean, add was the most like perpetually played song at middle school dances I ever attended. Absolutely. And now that we know what the word actually means, it's like he was putting it out in a fresh print style in front of all of us and we chose not to see. I mean, I feel responsible and culpable and I guess I should apologize. We're all complicit. I mean, Felicity remains complicit with slavery in pretty much every story we found. 100%. Yep. There's one story I came across that I really liked called Freedom for Felicity, where Felicity and Ben have a big fight about emancipation on the plantation. And she says, lots of people talk about freeing their slaves, but hardly anyone does. So they kind of continue the plot line of like, this is Felicity's personal struggle. That's kind of interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I this was one of the ones that I found most compelling because the person did a peek into the past section echoing the books. This was by someone who goes by Osprey Archer. And she writes, what can Amer- what American Girl story can be counted complete without its looking back essay at the end? In my case, it's not so much an essay about history as a bless me father for I have sinned. I did almost no research for this story. Brave. Brave. Absolutely. Um, I think she's also trying to imagine a queer plot line where Felicity and Elizabeth are kissing on the cheek. If I were a man, I'd marry you. She cried. I think there's a lot of that. All right. I need to read that one. That one sounds interesting. I think it's also important to note that in at least the ones that I was able to find, I know when we spoke about this kind of reimaginings or things we would have been interested in, we didn't see anyone writing one from a loyalist perspective and two um, from the perspective of the enslaved characters, which I know that their interior lives was something that we've been interested in throughout the series. And we were hoping to get more more of, frankly, but um, that doesn't seem to have shown up in the fanfic that I could find. And I will echo that and to say, if we missed it, please send it to us because it was something we looked for, but the internet is vast. That is totally true. Yeah, but we definitely want to read whatever's out there that applies. Speaking of writing our own fanfics or reading fanfics, we did take it, we challenged each other to write a Felicity fanfic story. And wow, 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 we we got into it. So rather than, we're not going to read our full stories, but we're going to talk about kind of what inspired it, what our stories are about, maybe share some notable quotes, and then we will post them on our Drumroll Please newly designed website that's coming to you very soon. Um, Woohoo! Allison, do you want to go first? Talk about your story. So with this story, I wanted to give Annabelle a new look. I wanted to do some revisionist history of Annabelle because I feel like she's treated incredibly unfairly. And part of where the inspiration for this one came from was even in the fan fiction, she's constantly a punchline. 
So I wanted to give her kind of a revenge moment, but also to expose some of the hypocrisy of the other characters through Annabelle. It begins this way. King's Creek was in an abysmal state. One did not need an Oxford man, an income of 40,000 pounds, or even a lick of common sense to see that. Mercifully, Annabelle had acquired all three. She lived a life beyond even her most lavish dreams, a life she had assumed was beyond her reach when she'd been thrust into the wilds of Virginia. Annabelle had returned to Williamsburg, not out of social nicety, but as a wife of a prospector. While her keen wit and sharp eye had not been appreciated in her youth, Annabelle had turned things around and made a wise match, a rich loyalist if you must know. In the past few years, they'd invested in textiles in Manchester. They'd done very well indeed, but where their riches truly came from was in horse breeding and in shifting portions of landed estates between buyers. It was not glamorous, but it kept them from the more terrible trades. In return, they'd spent summers in Milan, collected the finest linens from Egypt, and drank the best tea and rum in the world. What was less was to conquer the last corner of the empire she had been forced to call home years ago. Taking in the wide expanse of the plantation, Annabelle considered her plans. The revenge would be as sweet as the molasses in her storerooms. This reverie was soon interrupted by sticking flies and the sight of a flash of red hair in the distance. Now there was the unmistakable screeching. Annabelle Bananabelle, is that you? Felicity was always a fool. Summoning her kindest smile, Annabelle turned to face her former enemy. She had never been intrigued by this girl. Unlike her sister Elizabeth, Annabelle had chosen not to make friendships with traitors. Wow. So as we fast forward, and you can read the full story online, we learn a little bit more about Annabelle, and we discover that she received a letter at one point from Isaac. How had he found her half a world away? She knew it was truly by his hand because he had written in a recipe for roast beef. Nice. (laughs) Sorry. What she learned stunned her. Isaac had returned from the war, as had Ben, in pursuit of landed competence. He discovered instead that Ben would only offer a position on Felicity's grandfather's plantation. As he hacked away at firewood, Isaac remembered the days when he could beat a militia drum instead. Annabelle had come to Virginia not only to remind her childhood foe of her misdeeds, but to purchase the freedom of everyone at King's Creek. "'Annabelle, may I serve you some tea?' Felicity asked." Returning to her senses, Annabelle merely smiled. No, I shall take no tea. I will, however, take the deed to this property and all of your holdings save for Penny and Patriot. I know what they mean to you. Felicity was in no position to argue. Still, she did not take it well, and the children sensed her feigned resignation. Martha let out a bellow, and Edward sobbed. Ben merely stormed away. Whining has never been becoming, my dears, Annabelle whispered. She would leave them enough to get by and more to ensure that they could homestead elsewhere. But their days of soiling the land that once belonged to her king was done. Annabelle knew she could not return to the Georgian period of her early youth. They were better off moving west, she thought of Felicity. Annabelle smiled with one last thought. There's always plenty of horses out west, and in her case, always money in the banana bell stand. Very nice. That Epic is my writing last debut. Line. Thank you. I'm very into it. I think George Bluth would be very proud. I think he would. I think he would. And I think he 
could have been helpful in Felicity's life to show her that pranks are not always funny. That's right. You should always leave a note. Although she did leave a note, or I guess Ben did, but... Ben, ben did always leave a note. I, will, I mean, of all the things you can say about him, that is not one. That's true. I mean, the maps aren't great, but he did leave a note. Absolutely. Now, I am dying to hear your story. Okay. Well, let me just say this. I'm not going to read a lot of it, but I will post it. And I just want to say kind of when I was thinking about what I wanted to write, there were no plot lines in the books that I really wanted to touch or redo or remix in any way because, you know, I respect the canon as it is. Um, but I I was inspired a bit by the people who remix in fanfic and bring in outside influences into the world of, you know, the, the imagined world that they're entering. So, you know, I was kind of sitting around thinking about what to write. And I'm just really still inspired by, you know, Fire Festival. And I kind of imagined what would happen if Ben decided to organize a fire type festival um, in the 1790s in support of Thomas Jefferson's presidential ambitions um, in the late 1790s, um, which, as we know, was a hugely contested period. And if you've read the works of Joanne Freeman, Affairs of Honor, etc., you know that people were so angry at members of a, the opposing political party that if they saw them walking down the street on the same side of the sidewalk, they would cross the street rather than share the sidewalk with someone of different political views. And we can reflect on whether or not it's better or worse today. But needless to say, that's a somewhat serious explanation for what is a completely absurd story that I wrote called Freedom Festival is Not Free. I don't really know how much of this to read, but basically the premise of it is that Ben is kind of not doing well financially. The store is not doing well. So he decides to organize a Freedom Festival in which Jefferson supporters can meet Thomas Jefferson and get a series of tiered tickets to have different experiences with him. So when he's explaining it to Felicity, he says, Thomas Jefferson will be there. If you pay $20, you can sit next to Jefferson at dinner. If you pay $40, you can get a portrait painted of you with Jefferson. And if you pay $60, you get a visit to Monticello. And he paused dramatically. If you pay $100, you get to ask Thomas Jefferson one question about Sally Hemings. How much would you actually pay to do that? Zero dollars. I don't care for (gasps) Thomas Jefferson. That's a lie. No, it's true. I really don't. I would pay that much money to meet John Adams, no question. Or really, this, Abigail. No. It's true. You really Dolly, Dolly Madison, I'd pay $1,000, no question. That's not even a lot. I, look, to me, it's a lot of money. Are we talking about imaginary money? No, I'm saying like this is an actual thing you can do. And it's like, this is a one-time thing, but you need to hand over $1,200. You're not going to do it. To meet Thomas Jefferson? No, to me, Dolly. Oh, yeah. No question. Okay. No yeah, question. I'm objecting to Thomas Jefferson being the person I spend the money to meet. I don't care about him at all. If this was Dolly Madison, I would empty my bank account. No question. Here's what I would do. I would bring a, a chart and I would just slide it across the table and I would say, she was your sister-in-law. Walk away. Oh, my God. People don't understand that about the Sally Hemings-Thomas Jefferson relationship. She was the half-sister of his dead wife. Yeah, it's there is no imagining or telling of this history that should not make you recoil and get nauseous and crazy. And 
I remember when I went to Monticello a couple years ago and I was on the tour, it was really weird to kind of observe other people on the tour when you get to his bedroom and when the tour guide basically has to say something that's like, you know, as an association, our position is that Thomas Jefferson is the father of at least one of Sally Hemings's children. And people in the room, and by that I mean like older white guys, like you could see they rolled their eyes or were sort of disgusted. And I couldn't tell if they were disgusted that he would do that or they were disgusted that the museum took that interpretive position because, you know, if you've read um, a lot of work on this topic, you know that there are people who are who have been very resistant to this reality for, you know, since it was actually happening. But yeah, it's it's really not good. Really not good. If you good. want the real talk, just read Annette Gordon-Reed's yep. The Hemingses of Monticello and then end it for yourself. Yeah. I mean, there's really no debate about this. Like she she puts the like nail in the coffin that was already kind of unnecessary, but her research is staggering. And if you read that book and still think he wasn't involved, I literally can't help you. Like that's on I, you. It that's on you. So yeah, I wouldn't pay $1200 to meet Thomas Jefferson. I would love to meet Dolly Madison. And she doesn't even have to speak to me. Like I just want to sit next to her at one of her salons at the White House. I want to look at her turban. I would love to, you know, just enjoy her hospitality. You know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, she's my favorite founding father. Like, that's just where I'm at. Um, Tell me more highlights from your story. It's very funny. Well, I mean, I hope it's funny. I'm not really sure. But so basically, Ben tasked Felicity with helping him promote this festival. And so what he wants her to do is to not only put ads in their local newspaper and go visit the printer to do so, but he also wants to make sure that Nan's daughter, whose name is hashtag blessed, who is an influencer, can help promote with younger people. Um, so she goes to the printer who's basically like, I really don't think, this is not a quote, I really don't think that Mr. Jefferson would be in favor of such kind of overt campaigning for high office. It's kind of crude. And, you know, in that moment, it was actually considered crude to overtly campaign for office. You were supposed to let your friends do it on your behalf, which I can sort of remember from high school when people wanted to be like prom queen. They would never promote themselves for it, but they would have their friends do it. Again, I was never involved in any of that myself, but I used to see it go down from a safe distance. I quietly campaigned for perfect uniform and lost. Oh, God. I can't believe you're bringing this up. Oh, my God. I'm just telling you it in the context of the person who won wore a plain white tee under her uniform every day and sometimes graphic tees, and that was not allowed. That's all I'll say. Allison, I don't know how to help you through this anymore at this point. I'm like almost 10 years into working on solving this trauma for you or or resolving it. And all I can really say is that, you know, you have a PhD, you have a really cool job. um, You wear a uniform now and I wish they had a perfect uniform award that maybe you could kind of get in compensation or to fill that kind of hole inside. But But see, I'm not perfect now because I learned a lesson. Which is what? It wasn't worth it. It never is. It never is. I also went to a high school with uniforms and I I was never trying to be. I was wearing like Converse every day. I would play this game where I would be like, I have, I had like legit health problems in high school, so I didn't really ever need to fake sick. But I would sort of do this thing where I would wear Converse sneakers, which was not allowed and be like, oh, um, I had toe surgery 
and it's a really delicate time and you know I can barely walk right now I'm barely mobile and I'm here um you know I'm fine but I do need to wear these Converse sneakers just to kind of facilitate there is not a doctor in the world who would prescribe Converse in a medical context (laughs) they are like not shoe covering at all I'm wearing them right now I feel protected I feel safe Look, no one, I think everyone was just like, we know that there is something wrong with you medically, maybe otherwise as well, medically. So we're not going to really press too hard on this, except for the nun who ran the school who made my life miserable, which is another story for another day. But suffice it to say, like Converse was my path forward. Okay, so she asked her niece, hashtag blessed, to help promote the festival. And the printer is basically like, this doesn't make any sense. Are you sure this is like a legit thing? And she goes to her husband, Ben, and is like, is this real? And Ben challenges her by saying, who do you think knows more about politics? James the printer, who only saw the revolution through the pages of a newspaper? Or me, a man who served in the militia as its official whistleblower? And... Basically, this goes as well as you can expect. All these people pour into Williamsburg on the day of Freedom Fest. Ben, you know, they're asking, where's the food we've been promised? Where's our accommodations? Where's Thomas Jefferson? And Ben basically says, I'm going to go get him. I'll be right back. And, um, of course, Elizabeth is there to help Felicity. Um, Felicity stays behind. and, And Felicity, after a long period of time, is like, I need to go see where Ben is. He's been gone for way too long. So she turns to Elizabeth and says, Elizabeth, keep the crowd calm with your stories about the love you lost in the quasi war of 1798. I'll be right back. And when she gets home, she sees that Ben has left. He's left a note with him, with her, and he left a map. And just like in the the books we read, the map is indecipherable. So Felicity has no earthly idea where he actually has gone. The crowd wants their money refunded. Um, she tells the crowd her husband's a ne'er-do-well. And Elizabeth, being in this story as in the books, a not very helpful friend, says, Felicity, you have a horse. Your prized thoroughbred, freedom. And Felicity responds, sell freedom? How could I? You have to, cried Elizabeth, but freedom isn't free, Felicity shouted. And Marcus, who had been there all along, looked directly into the camera, which would not be invented for another 16 years. And Felicity basically has to sell the horse to pay off the crowd. And she's despairing of what she's going to do with her husband having abandoned her. And Elizabeth says, but Felicity, you own a plantation. Oh, right, said Felicity. And Elizabeth tells her to gather that which is most important to her and sneak out of town, and this is how the story ends. Marcus, hopeful that Felicity might actually notice his existence, watched her with anticipation, but his face fell when her eyes settled on a portrait of Jiggy Eye that she had commissioned years before. And That's fantastic. You know, I had, to, I had to end with an allusion towards Dolly Madison because, you know, she's just... I, I need to put her in any revolutionary story that I tell. Justice for Marcus, not there yet. Definitely not there yet. I needed Felicity's kind of racism to be maintained just as a way to kind of redress like the 90s histories of slavery, but no racism that we get throughout the series, which really continue to bother me. We're going to post these stories on our website and we'd love for you to read and comment on them and also to share your own work if you feel so inspired and we'll post that as well. Allison, I think you wanted to talk about some other kinds of interpretation of Felicity's story. Yeah, we found some beautiful art on DeviantArt and something called the Rainbow Maiden Tumblr, which are visual representations 
representations of Felicity, often as an older person, that we thought were really striking and beautiful, and we will share those. But the thing that really had us unhinged was a Tumblr slash live journal at a different iteration called Stolen Bridges. Wow. It, this thing is wild. It is wild. And part of what I love about this is the conversations that people have on there. So someone who did not create a username wrote in and said, oh, I love the artwork that you're creating. Um, and someone named Katie responds, the Benicity fandom may be small, but what we lack in mass content, I think we make up for in longevity. Yes. I would I love to create that. some art. Yes. This is what took us to, I think, the ultimate summit of this mountain, which is a video that combines the song Collide with By clips Howie of Felicity Day. and Ben. Howie Day. Yeah. And I think this is the thing that really sent us over the edge. This made me lose my mind because on our last episode, as you may remember, we talked about the ways that you kind of have to understand the songbook of Britney Spears to be able to access the history of the American Revolution, um, a thought we still stand behind. And, you know, Allison, you've done some great work on our Instagram to show how the iconography of Britney Spears actually syncs up with iconography in the American Revolution. But, you know, when I saw this Howie Day video, it was just kind of like literally our show colliding with the fandom and because and also just the canon like Howie Day dated Britney Spears I think they met in rehab okay I I did not know that yeah so I like I I come to Howie Day through a different teenage interest of mine which is One Tree Hill um shout out to our dear friend Jordan who also loves One Tree Hill um okay Howie Day was all up in that show that show's soundtrack I will still stand behind in 2019 like they had a lot of what they considered to be independent artists on there which actually were major label artists they were trying to promote it was really it was a wild show I don't don't even want to get into it but in the Chad Michael Murray of it all but Howie Day was his music was frequently on there but when he had that song collide it was kind of his only hit and then I remember he kind of went sideways like he took his fame and it it kind of got the better of him and he ended up in rehab where I think he met Ms. Britney Spears and then the paparazzi took many photos of them when they kind of very briefly dated after Mm. afterwards so the fact that we would acknowledge Britney Spears and her well-being and her her way her beautiful way of offering a path into the American Revolution and then the fandom has already you know co-opted Howie Day for that cause it's like oh my god like my head just wants to explode and it's like thank you for paying attention yes it's it's just like one of those feelings where it's like okay it's not just us like there are other people out there who get it there are and I think there's this desire to kind of just like keep your relationships with these stories going and sort of the ultimate fan fiction creator in all of this is actually Mattel because they pay these authors now to revisit the stories and create supplementals. Right. And you've read some of those, right? Yeah. So I have read The Mystery, which is Peril at King's Creek. And I have read some of the shorter stories, such as when Nan is being born, a new sister for Felicity. And I've also read Very Funny Elizabeth, which is a spinoff where Elizabeth is the central figure. It's kind of interesting, though, that Mattel would spark those kind of sanctioned fan fiction. Yeah, so this is written by Valerie Tripp. It's like she's called out from doing other characters to work on this. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, there's a reason Felicity is the star and Elizabeth is a side character. Yikes. 
Well, her life is just not terribly interesting. And by the time you finish the arc of the six books, this book, Very Funny Elizabeth, is clearly happening before the end of book six for a variety of reasons. And it's like, okay, I'm kind of past this story with you guys, like with your hijinks. Yeah, that's kind of weird that they would do the timeline that way. I think an Elizabeth story would actually be more interesting after the end of the series timeline to see what she does during the revolution, especially as a member of a family um, that was firmly loyalist. I'm going to be real honest with you. Felicity and Elizabeth have these really strange boundaries together as friends where they're like, we mercilessly make fun of Annabelle, but only for her benefit yeah bullying consultant in mind you know it's like annabelle really did drop out of the series around book three or sometime and it's kind of like valerie trip knew that we needed these supplemental characters but didn't really need didn't really know what to do with groups of girls as friends and the ways that like your friends can within a second turn into a rival and then back again and the kind of rivalries with your friends siblings and so on that i feel like the babysitters club kind of handled much better in a way um in terms of like normalizing it and creating arcs where you see people grow and change over time But with Elizabeth, to me, she always read as kind of like a series of virtues hung together in a cloak. And Annabelle is just sort of like a flurry of hormones that's, you know, about to yell at you for trying on your mom's wig. And that just kind of doesn't go anywhere for me. In this book, Annabelle is trying to save the family by landing a man at 16, which I actually feel like is not super wrongheaded for a family of their failing status in 1775. And they're making fun of her and the fact that she has a crush on Ben. So they tell her that Ben has been speaking in these glowing terms about her eyes and her teeth and how he loves these like big brown eyes and nice teeth. So she comes in and she's sort of flirting with Ben. Ben looked puzzled. Bright eyes and sound teeth? Well, when I'm looking at a horse... Like they had been told. Oh my God. Annabelle's been told like those are the things he looks for. Elizabeth and Felicity have this whole giggle fit over making fun of her. And she says, you tricked me and storms out. Annabelle is annoyed, Felicity says. No doubt, says Elizabeth cheerfully, but it was well worth it. And then they kind of make noises like horses. I think the thing that I find really sort of nefarious about this scene is that when we have the capacity to think of Felicity and Ben as older people, they probably may have ended up together and may have ended up owning King's Creek. And the way that they're talking about evaluating horses was used to evaluate people at slave markets. Like, I don't mean to take it there, but No, but that's when you were reading those descriptions, that's what I was thinking about. And... It's kind of hard to believe that Valerie Tripp on some level wasn't thinking about that or by that point, you know, no one in the pipeline of the publication of this book could flag that and say, this might be a problem, you know, to think about personhood this way and not acknowledge the real ways that, you know, people are being spoken of in commodities in a very similar way with the same exact language. Well, this is this is yet another instance where it's like horses are number one. Right. Right. If this is something of interest to you, Walter Johnson's book called Soul by Soul really gets into the ways that people talked about the experience of having people being purchased at markets and the ways that people were evaluated as property. And it 
is very detailed and looks at a lot of these moments. But I read that passage and I was like, number one, this is mean girl behavior. And number two, this isn't sensitive to the ways in which that language had really two purposes, which was evaluating animals that one would purchase. And then in the context of the slave market, I was like, ugh, cringy. Yeah, that's really not great. I mean, first of all, I don't like those scenes where they kind of torture Annabelle because it just sort of feels it tips a line and becomes very mean to me. But also, like, it'd be interesting to think about the 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 situation of her family at that time where she does feel this pressure to get married and kind of save the family. And then they do something that's so meaningless um, and cruel to undermine her and something that might actually be causing her real anxiety. Excuse me. And I know that this is a children's series and so on, but to kind of maybe instill in female readers that the stakes of your personal relationships used to be much higher or I guess in this time in that circumstance were high for her or maybe they still are now for women in various circumstances so it just I don't know it feels it feels pretty bad the peak into the past I will say does a really good job of looking at the world in which Elizabeth Annabelle and that family were operating which was these women do actually need to make a really good match for the family. And Annabelle is later proposed to by a very wealthy family. And she has the chance to become the wife to a Lord and to get a title. But in the end, he has made a friendship with Ben. I'm rolling my eyes. So he decides that he's going to fight for the King. And there's all these passages in this book where it's like, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe because you can be friends with people who disagree with you. I'm like, this was written in the early, early aughts where it's like, do politics even matter? It's like, yeah, they actually do. Right. And by then they certainly, you know, the divisions between the parties were certainly becoming more stark or the culture around them. So to act like politics aren't personal or it's something that everyone can obviously get past, I just think is super naive in the early aughts. The first few pages, it says, in some ways, Elizabeth and Felicity were different. And then it's like their size, their hair color, their temperament. Then Elizabeth came from a family of loyalists. Felicity and her family thought some of the king's laws were unfair, so they were patriots. But in all the ways that were really important, Elizabeth and Felicity were alike. And it's like, yeah, like wasn't her dad just in prison for things that were pretty important? to him Uh, (laughs) we're not good not great so i was like okay so maybe maybe this isn't the one that you teach politics with um but we know that now so i mean howie day could have intervened i think differently i mean collide is instructive on so many different levels yeah so next time we are looking at a fantastic part of the great american film canon That's right. We will be discussing Felicity, the film adaptation. I mean, is it an adaptation so much as a visual experience unlike any other? That's true. As we have said before, if Felicity was good enough for Shailene Woodley to get her start, how could it not be where we begin? Thank you. Truly. So please join us next time when we get into that. Now, before we go, Allison, where can we find, where can listeners find us online? You can email us at americangirlspod at gmail. You can find us on Facebook at American Girls Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, also at American 
Girls Podcast, or you can drop us a line on Twitter at a Girls Pod. And on any one of those socials, we very much appreciate when you share the podcast with other people and tell them what you think about it. Also, if you can rate and review us in the iTunes store, we also appreciate that. It helps more people find our show. Absolutely. And where can people find you? I'm at Mary Mahoney123 on Twitter and at Mimi Mahoney, M I M I M A H O N E Y. You can find me at Allison Horrocks on pretty much all of the things, and that's A L L I S O N. And you can find our full names in the show notes and on the name of the podcast. Wonderful. So I guess all we can say to our listeners is we'll see you next time when we collide. Don't take anybody's pants. 